What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer for War Media and host of the In The Scope podcast. I got some great news for you all. Tix Blitz provides the same great seats without service fees. Never pay service fees by switching to TixBlitz.com today. Use the promo code WAR, W-A-R-R, and save 5% on all purchases at TixBlitz.com or on the TixBlitz app. That's promo code WAR, W-A-R-R, for 5% off on great seats for all events. TixBlitz provides the same great seats as other resellers, but with no service fees. Never pay service fees at TixBlitz.com. The world sometimes will bring you down. We've got to stop and look Y'all know what time it is. It is the one. It is the only In The Scope podcast with your boy, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer for War Media. You can catch me on the Instagram and the Twitter at Josh M. Hicks Media. And I love this guy that I got on my show, man. This dude is like a renaissance man in his own way. He, he's done a lot of different things, did his hands in a lot of different pools, but at the end of the day, the dude is a multi-demographic guy that is very knowledgeable, very understanding of the game of, of, of sports in general, but also knows how to carry that, not just on the court, on the fields, and in the respective forms, but transitioning it to life as lifestyle in general. He is someone you want to, you will want to know, and I'm glad to have. He has some great stuff for us to show, share with us uh, today. He is a VP of Performance and Strength when it comes to future He's also a former Bulls uh, trainer, strength and conditioning coach, as well as the same with Purdue. And he's, he's in a whole bunch of other stuff. I can't even name the other things that he's doing. Just know that this guy's a really good guy and, and, a, and a brother of mine in, in, in the in field, man. Josh Bonatol. Josh, my guy, how you doing? My man, I'm good. You know, I've been on a lot of podcasts and... Uh, the introduction I get from you is by far world-class, by far the best, man. That The energy that you bring right off the jump, I, I need some of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I really appreciate it, man. I really do. And not to mention, you're a special guy, man. You're a special guy to me. <laughs> We've always been communicating, keeping yeah. in touch. You've been doing a lot of great things, uh, uh, you know, in your, in your endeavors and in, in your leadership role. So definitely commended for that. I can't wait to talk about that later on in the show. But right now, we just got to get into some, 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 a little bit of heavy hitters in the beginning of the show, man. You, I would assume, I would like to assume, since you were a former Bulls trainer, you know, mm -hmm. you like to keep up with the Bulls over time, right? Like you've kept in touch with the Bulls so far, what they've been doing this season. Man, I, you know, I, I try to. You know what's funny, man? Is so I am, but like it's hard for me to actually catch a lot of the games. And what, what was interesting, like when I was with the Bulls, I watched all the NBA, I never watched college basketball. So, like, I only, you know, around March Madness tournament season, then you kind of realize like what's going on. Then I made the jump and I went to Purdue, and obviously, early, like the first two or three years, 
it was still all my guys, you know, that, that I coach. And then little by little, there's only, you know, two or three, then there's one. And obviously at this point there's none, but even during that time when I was at Purdue, now it flipped where it was like, it was really hard to watch the NBA, but I watch college all the time. And then fast forward to what I'm doing now being, you know, tech and startup world, it's hard for me to watch any, you know, I, I try, I still, I watch uh, Purdue more than anything. Like I watch that, like I'm their number one diehard fan because, you know, I spent, obviously I spent, I was the assistant with the Bulls and then I was the director at Purdue. So I spent seven years building that program from the ground up. When I left, it was my former assistant that took over for me in, in my role. And actually this past year, he left to take another role. And so I helped place who they have currently. And so I still am like very attached to that program and uh, having conversations with some of the current players and, and like helping them with what I see of, cause that's a team where I think they can win the national title this year. So I'm like the outsider, like sending my two cents after every game of like, what we need to do more of what, you know, what, what we need to improve and stuff like that. But Bulls, yeah, I've definitely been keeping an eye. The great thing is like, it's a good use of time again to watch Bulls games. Yeah. And you couldn't say that since probably what, when it was Rondo, D Wade and Jimmy and them where if, if Rondo doesn't get hurt, by the way, that's a whole different trajectory because we're getting by Boston in that first round series and the next round, you never know. And you know how things work is now you're kind of doubling down and you're building around, but we lost that first round series, blew it up. And then what was it next four or five years? I mean, it's almost insufferable to (laughs) as much as I love them. I I mean, I grew up, I I love everybody there, but I I mean, just, you know, and so now it's a good use of time again, so now it's like, okay, if they're on, I'm, I'm trying to tune in. But, um, man, what DeMar is doing right now, I'm just watching them last night. Like, my goodness. Yeah, DeMar is going crazy, man. And I'm glad you brought that up because you've trained an MVP in Derrick Rose. You were there during his, during his prime D. Rose years when he was on that other level. Now you've got another MVP candidate coming in and DeMar DeRozan killing it. Which does DeMar DeRozan's season compare in any way, shape, or form to Derrick Rose's MVP year that you witnessed up close? I mean, you you can't ask me that question because you already know what my answer is going to be. <laughs> and it's, it's loaded with bias, of course, but like... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love, I love everything DeMar is doing, but no, man, like, like Derrick Rose, Derrick Rose season, real talk, taking the bias out of it. Um, that's one of the greatest individual seasons in, in NBA history. What, what he did that year, um, you know, and I, I, but I will say, I think there's, I think there's a lot of similarities in, in kind of what the, what the campaign is, is, you know, Derrick was, really in a lot of ways, the, the, the first guy to come along since Mike um, to wear the weight of Chicago and to carry it. Like you saw that with all the free agents from like 2000 and on, like back from the, you know, what was it? Like T-Mac and Grant Hill. We yeah. talk about like, oh, we're going to get two of them and we got none of them. Um, but it was like the reality and whether they want to say it or not, 
they didn't want the weight of MJ's statue sitting out front of that building, looking up at the banners. And that's what you're stepping in, in, in the, in the sort of footsteps of, and Derek was the first one to take that weight and, and deliver and, um, you know, put the bulls back on the map because it was basically, I mean, you had, you had the baby bull, you know, and, and I coached that group as well, like Kirk yeah. and BG and Lou and all those guys. So I don't want to, I don't want to take away from them, but it was just that level to be MVP, MVP caliber and ultimately to be the MVP, um, putting the bulls back on the map. And so I think you're seeing that with DeMar. What's interesting is, um, you know, Derek, obviously it was a, uh, like a coronation. I wanted to say coming out party, but it wasn't a coming out party. It was a, it was a coronation. Cause it was like, he's the Chicago kid, you know, and uh, everything at Simeon and, 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 and all of that, obviously the one year, number one pick um, rookie of the year, all-star next year. And then, so it's just like third year, logical step MVP. And so it was like going from, you know, the prince to the king or however you want to, whatever that is. Um, and obviously, unfortunately, you know, the injuries happened and, and things like that. But, um, you know, I think with DeMar, what's interesting is like, it's like a, uh, I don't even know if it's, if reinvention is, is the right word, but it's like DeMar's what people were saying, like, you know, he's entering the late stages of his career and all of a sudden he's, he has put himself in a position and in a role for this like absolute like reemergence. But the the similarity I see between the the two of them that I think and watching Derek up close and personal and seeing Damar, you know, much more loosely from from afar is um well one, they're doing it inside of the arc which especially in today's game you don't see that anymore and so I think like DeMar is bringing that back to the game in in a lot of ways but it's like it's it's not just the start of a game and the end of the game like Derek would always do that he would start us off strong and he's the closer and you've seen that with DeMar back-to-back game winners all that sort of stuff but it's all those moments in the middle of the game where like the fans are getting up and they're going to the concession stand and they're getting nachos and nobody's really paying attention where in the NBA, if a team, you know, even makes like back-to-back buckets on you or certainly three in a row, that's a huge momentum swing in the dynamics of the game and and who's going to win at the end. Derek was that guy that anytime that happened, he ended that run right away. Like he was the mm-hmm. ultimate run stopper. And I think you're seeing that with, with DeMar is like, if another team starts to get a bit of a rhythm, they start to, you know, get a couple buckets back to back, get a couple stops on the other end, you know, let's just find him and he can go and get it. And with that mid range game, he can just kind of walk you into his spot and get that shot. And Derek had a lot of that. He could, because he was so deadly, getting to the rim, you had to give him a little bit of space there. And so he could almost walk you into that mid range, which he really, I mean, from year one to year three worked a lot to, uh, to develop. So no, man, it's been fun. And it's been eerie because beyond just DeMar it's like the team as a whole, 
reminds me so much of that team my very my very last year which was Derek's MVP year which was the year we um we lost to Miami in the in the in the conference finals um LeBron's first year in, in Miami Dallas goes on and, and wins it that year but the the whole team dynamic um and and I've not been around the guys but I still have close friends in the organization and they've said it too it was like back at that time, my, my last team, like if we went out, you know, if we ever went out, it was, I mean, we were 14 deep, 15 deep. It wasn't just a few players. It was like the whole team and, and everyone enjoyed hanging out together, not just on the court, but off the court. And I always tell people that was the closest knit team I've ever been a part of at any level. That includes like high school basketball, like YMCA ball, you know, college, everything. Um, and that's really remarkable because you typically don't see that at the pro level, but when you do, it's really special. And I think you, you're seeing that with this group and you're seeing it's like bench mob 2.0, you know, yeah. there was not, everybody wants to call if, if any team has a good bench, they want to call it the bench mob now ever since, you know, 2010, but that's, I mean, that's the original bench mob, but the thing that made us so great that year was any time, uh, you know, whatever it is, it's around under six minute timeout in the first quarter. And now you go to your bench, but certainly the start of the second quarter. Um, if we had a lead, we stretched the lead because our bench was always going to drive your bench. If you had a lead, we were going to close the gap. And even if our bench was in with your starters, they could match up. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And I think, I think you're seeing that, but it's like, it's the love for one another. It's the unselfishness. It's the, and I think it starts with obviously DeMar being that veteran guy. Um, but Lonzo re reinventing himself, you know, he's kind of been through it. He's had some dark moments now. And now I see, I think you see that of like how important just winning is to him. And then Zach, I think Zach's just everything I've ever seen from him. He's just been that guy from the moment he stepped in where it's like, this dude's a flat out superstar, but the way he carries himself in person is just like an unassuming, humble dude. Don't get it twisted. He got the swag, you know, he's got the, and he knows, he knows he's a badass, mm -hmm. but he doesn't, you know, he don't, he don't like carry himself as though he's like, he's better than you or, you know what I mean? And so when right. you have three guys at the top like that, it just, trickles down Vooch, you know, all those guys. So you you just briefly uh, talked about how close knit of a team that 2010 team was uh, when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Give us an example of one of your favorite moments of hanging out around, hanging out around those guys to describe the close chemistry. What's, your, what's one of your favorite moments, man? Drop, oh, drop, drop man. a couple, couple stories on us. That's to tell you, you put, you put me on the spot there. That's like 11 <laughs> years ago. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like, you know, what, what, uh, what are the, you know, what are the different stories? Um, you know, it was, I mean, it's just, just a lot of this stuff or like, even just, you know, and cause, cause at that time, like, I was young too. I'm I'm the same age. Heck, I was younger than than half the guys. I was 27. So, um, you know, you definitely like the moments. Um, I would say I remember 
in particular, like right before the all-star break, our very last game was a TNT game against San Antonio. Um, and San Antonio had the best record in the NBA that year. We were just starting to hit our stride where like people were now talking about us as a legitimate contender. Cause you got to remember the year before that we were an eight sweet eight seed lost in five games to Cleveland. And then the year before that Derek's rookie year, we were a seven seed lost in seven to, to Boston. So we'd, you know, seven or eight seed the past two years um, going into that year outside of our building, the expectations probably weren't necessarily there. And now we're hitting our stride. It's Tibbs first year. And so that was a big moment, you know, was um, I think our guys really wanted that. They knew that was kind of the moment of like, yeah, we're playing well, but if we're really going to win a championship, that's who we got to go through. San Antonio, I mean, pop, Duncan, Tony Parker, all them. And um, we dominated that game. I don't remember what the final score was. I think, you know, it ended up being a close game as, as you would expect is it's the Spurs, but overall we controlled that game. Guys really stepped up. There were moments where, you know, the Spurs were going to win the game. And, uh, and I just remember because then it was like, we're all going into, into all-star break straight from that. And I'm the young guy. So it's like, yeah, like you, you know, you can go out with guys, but you kind of got to be discreet about it a little bit. Um, you know, but interestingly, I always thought the fact that you could have those type of relationships where I can go out with a guy or I can, and, and, and still like keep that line um, or we can go to dinner actually helps you coach them that much better, especially when they have their low moments um, cause they know you, you care about them on a deeper level. But anyways, I remember we get back into that locker room and they're just going nuts. And, and like, I think it might've been booze. He just looks at me, me and, and one of my boys, um, who I, I, I won't, I won't mention his name, but, um, we're standing there and we're kind of the young guns booze. Like Josh, where are we at tonight? We're going out. And I'm like, Oh man, he was like, he was like, no, Josh, you, you call it you say, you, you say where we're going, you know? And so then I think me and my other boy, like we kind of set up a, a couple of spots, but it was just like, that was probably one of the most memorable nights because we had that opportunity where it's, you know, it's like the last day of school almost where it's, we don't have another game. There's not, you know, everyone's having this break well-deserved. So we could all go kind of hang out and, and, and kick it. And, you know, I think we ended up going to, three different spots that night. And, and it was, it was literally the entire team. Like every single player on our team was there, handful of our staff. And it was just the enjoyment to be around each other. Um, the love for one another, you know, you felt it. And what was so cool was like, I think that was one of the first moments where it was like, we walked in places, man. And, and like, you know, I come, I come from a small town, I never was that good at basketball myself. I wasn't, and we're walking in places. I'm like, man, it feels like we're the Beatles or, you know, something like that. <laughs> the city just, cause the city of Chicago just, I mean, when you win and when you do it the way that we were like as a team and you get gritty, like Stacey King, I always talk hard hat, lunch pail, like, you know, yep. Taj especially. And we had those type of guys, man, the city of Chicago is a blue collar, you know, city is, is, um, 
you know, they, they love their sports, but they want to see you do it the right way. Cause they, you know, it's a city where I think everyone looks out for each other, everyone can, you know? And so it was like, we had that team and to just like go around the different places that night and to just step back in the awe of, um, you know, how just that buzz around the city, um, and actually like a few of the Spurs guys that uh, met us out. So that, that was just kind of cool to see that dynamic from some of those guys that are legends and like how they carried themselves. And you saw the respect and love that they had for, you know, in particular, Derek and, and Joakim, you know what I mean? Which was just as like a low man on the totem pole was kind of cool to see. I was gonna say, Derek stepped out. Derek, you know, he'll, he'll keep it, he'll definitely keep it low key, you know, if he, <laughs> if he steps out, which is good though. You know, it's like, and, and that's, and that's how, um, you know, I think, I think that's the way to, and, and especially now, man, with, with everything, yeah. but it's like, you know, finding that balance. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of those guys and, and that team was just so mature across the board and just carried themselves at such a high level. And so that's where like, you never saw like, any of the foolishness that that sometimes you see it's like we can go out and have a good time without you know being stupid or being you know what I mean and it's yeah. like um so and and you know it's just, it's just kind of interesting because people do they do like they judge you the second they see you at a restaurant or they see you, you know right away in today's general like I'm gonna take a picture I'm gonna video you and and you're kind of under the microscope but it's like you know finding ways that, you know, you can still kind of go and enjoy yourself. You know, I think, I think is, is important, but keep yourself insulated and. No, that, that, that's cool. That's cool. I, I rarely hear about Derek D. Rose stepping out and doing things. So because of, so for you to bring that out, I was like, he stepped out. All right, cool, cool. All I right. think he's always, you know, he's, he's going to keep it, which is, which is good. He's, he's going to keep it, you know, very discreet. And also like, he's not going to step out very much, you know, like right. it was like, and, and, and so I'm, but I think like, that's probably why that night stuck out to me because, you know, the majority of the time, and especially that year he's on his climb, you know, it was more like, if anything, we're going to grab a, a dinner in like a room that's closed off in the back of a restaurant, you know, type of thing. So it was cool that it was like, you know, that's a night where all of us can kind of go and, and, and enjoy ourselves. Um, everybody listening right now, you listen to my guy, Josh Bontong. Uh, Josh, the, we're sticking on, I'm, we're going more to the fitness side of things now. And DeMar DeRozan, you know, we talked about how he's been killing it all year long. And he's been, you know, we talked, and you briefly talked about the correlations between this team versus your 2010 team that you were a part of. Um, I think what really stands up about DeMar DeRozan, not just through this year, but his career in general, was he doesn't miss many games. He's very durable. Mm -hmm. The, the team's already played 60 games this year. He's played in 56 of them. Like, he only missed four games all season long. Yeah. When, you, when you talk about keeping up with that durability, especially when a team when you're playing so much, but heading into an all-star break like we did, talk about the importance of, of um, fitness-wise, staying durable, how to stay healthy, you know, so that way your body can maintain all that wear and tear that it's going through, even through a 60-game schedule so far. And you still got a whole other... For at least for the Bulls, hopefully 30 plus games because yeah. of the playoffs. How do you maintain yeah. that? Yeah. So, you know, it's it 
it's interesting because I think you've, you've very much seen a, a, a pendulum in, in that space, especially elite sport. And, and, and I do think it's starting to come back is, um, you know, that is, there are incredibly high demands that, that go to that, um, you know, physically, both in terms of, you know, the, the, the just overall volume and, and wear and tear that comes from that. But then the, I mean, the forces that, you know, especially when you think about like a, a Zach Levine and, and in, in my day, Derek Rose, you know, the forces that these athletes, these guys are, are able to, to generate is unlike anything, you know, most of us um, are, are, are capable of. And so even to do the exact same things for, you know, there's, there's kind of an, there's, there's an effect of like that absolute output of like this big explosive burst or this very quick, uh, stop, change of direction, things like that. And so to be able to consistently do those things. And the thing I always talk about is like, there's two levels to it. It's like, you know, I think you have some of your guys like a, like, and I've never coached Zach, so I don't want to speak on anything to, you know, his actual training, but just looking at him physically, athletically, a guy like Zach, a guy like Derek is, um, a lot of these gifts they have already. So when you're thinking about training them, it's more, how do we allow Derek to go and just be Derek? How do we allow like game after game, he can be at or as close to a hundred percent of who Derek Rose is physically. Um, because just off that he has an advantage. And then you have other guys who, um, maybe they don't have some of that same natural athletic ability. And so you are, you know, training a little differently to push the envelope to also drive those physical capacities a bit more. Like when you get a Derek Rose, you don't go, Hey D come over here. I'm going to make you faster. Like Derek was the fastest basketball player in NBA history by our, by our testing um, at the point at which he joined, you know, with the bulls. So um, it's a little different. Whereas, you, you know, you'll get some other guys where you're like, okay, Hey, like you're pretty fast right now, but there's, there's a window we can really develop you. But I think the overarching thing is one, you got to meet each individual guy where they're at, where their level of um, training and fitness is. And it's going to be different for all of these guys. Like how much have they been exposed to um, training? And, and when I refer to training, I mean, you know, a lot of your, lifting weights and conditioning and speed and agility work and, and recovering. Also, what are their lifestyle habits? You know, because if they're still figuring it out in terms of, you know, really prioritizing their nutrition and eating healthy and, and prioritizing their sleep and, you know, things like that, um, that's going to alter um, what type of stress that you can put them under, what type of loads and volumes you can expose them to. Um, but I think ultimately your objective is to be able to do what someone like De DeMar is doing, first of all, of like playing every game. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty clear sign to me of like, he's putting the work in, in the off season, you know? And he's not just kind of like showing up and doing some fluff workouts, but he's really like going and stressing all his systems. And one of the things that, you know, we always did 
in my time at, in Chicago and then um, my time at Purdue, which, you know, by the way, in, in seven seasons that I was there, we had a total of six games missed across all of our players. Um, so it would have been two, 2,511 total game opportunities that we had six games missed due to non-contact and, and soft tissue injuries, um, which are the ones that you try, you still can't control, yeah. but you try to influence. Um, and what I attribute to the success that we had. And so what I would look at a guy like DeMar, why does it happen is one in the off season, they push the envelope. Like they train and they train hard and they train aggressively. And, you know, a quote that it always sticks with me because it, it sat right outside of um, my office door in the Birdo Center, our old training facility with the Bulls. So I saw it every day for four years when I walked in, into my office and said, the, the, the time will come when winter will ask what you were doing all summer. Um, and that quote, like very much rings true of like, you see someone like Damar and as the season has progressed, he's actually, and there's probably a combination here, honestly, is he's getting stronger, but I would venture to guess a lot of guys he's going up against, maybe they're starting to feel the effects of the long season, or at least they're feeling it more than he is. And so that's where you see his separation coming, um, you know, later in the season is like having that aggressive off season and to the point, you know, and, and when I was at Purdue, I think our guys would even think I was crazy at times, but we would train to a point where it was like, we were so aggressive at times where they might have some small breakdowns in the, in the offset. Like we might do a uh, one step back for three steps forward type of thing, because we also realize, and what, what I always talk to our guys about, you know, if it's June, July for us, our season started in, you know, mid November, we're five months away from playing a game. And so like the other thing, what's interesting, cause everyone's all big into recovery. I would like lose my mind on our guys. If they got into a cold tub in the off season or they did a norm attack or they did like this different recovery stuff, because I was like, what are you recovering for? Like we don't have a game for five months. And so I think like what's interesting is like this, this pendulum, as I was talking about is like, we have all this data and technology to tell us about, you know, our heart rate, our heart rate variability, all the different loads we're in distances that guys are running during practice and velocities and forces and, you know, all these things. And now we have this whole category of recovery modalities. And so you almost see that get like, overused especially in the off season to where like we're constantly recovering after every single workout um when we're not playing a game we're not doing anything where we have to be at an optimal performance yet um and we're like placing this huge emphasis on what this data is telling me about like the loads that we're under um but you're missing the point that when we get into the season we're about to ask these guys to be under like such extreme loads that we have to do something to prepare them for it. And so the reason why in the off season, like I would shy away from having our guys do cold tubs or, or, you know, any of that different type stuff outside of maybe, you know, like massage and, and soft mm -hmm. tissue work, you know, some things there is it actually stunts your body's, uh, 
natural kind of recovery process. So what happens when you train, so, so to get stronger, to get fitter, to get, you know, whatever it is, what you're doing is you are applying a, a certain level of stress to your body. And so that stress creates breakdown. So you actually see a dip in performance and where that improvement, why you get stronger is from sort of your body's process to your body wants to achieve homeostasis. So bringing you back to um, kind of a new norm, so to speak, because it essentially recognizes, hey, we just did this work. It was too much. So now my muscles have broken down this and that. So now, so now my body goes, okay, I need to prepare for a little higher, you know, sort of tolerance or, or workload. Does that make sense? So, and that's why yeah. you see, like, if you don't work out for six months and all of a sudden you come back to the gym and you try and do an hour workout, you gonna be debilitated for two weeks. Like you're not going to be able to walk because your body has lost the ability to endure kind of that capacity. So with a guy like DeMar, I think it's one, it's that like he's pushing the throttle in the off season. You know, he's, he's really getting after it, which is, which is critical. And then, you know, I think as you get in season, now it's about, it's about the consistency of it. And so both with the bulls and at Purdue, many of our players, I mean, literally they would train every single day um, beyond just their like basketball practice or games. Like we would train, you know, we would do lifts right before tip off. I had guys with the bulls and at Purdue, um, they're leaving the weight room with me 30 minutes or 60 minutes before we, we tip, but we adjust that workout based on how they're feeling. So if it's, if it's a day and I'll just use DeMar as an example, and I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's doing game day training or, or stuff like that. I would venture to believe he's doing at least some of it. Um, but like, maybe it's a day where he comes in and he says, man, I'm feeling really sore. I'm stiff. I'm, you know, this and that we'll adjust that lift for that day to make it more about just moving you through some full ranges of motion, pretty light, but just getting your blood flowing to help loosen you up. And, and, and part of the goal is psychological that just from the time he starts to 15 minutes later, when he walks out, cause we're not going to do a much if, especially if somebody's feeling like that, um, he just feels better. He's more confident. He's, you know, he's looser. Um, but then if it's a day where, you're feeling pretty good. And especially because you've had a great off season, now you have a higher capacity in season, even with all the stress to do more. We'll actually do like potentially, um, you know, if it's, a, if, if it's a lift, let's use a, a squat, for instance, we might actually do some heavy squats, but you're only going to do, you know, maybe two to three reps. And it's not a two to three rep max. It's not like you're, you're maxing out. It's pretty heavy but it's like 90% of what you could do. So like you still have two reps left in the tank, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what that does is it, it really excites your nervous system and your fast twitch uh, muscle fibers. So doing things like that or doing things that are really fast. Um, so like jumping, different plyometrics, different like Olympic lifts, like a, a hang snatch, for instance. Um, and those things, what those will do on a day that I'm feeling good is it'll actually like kind of potentiate my system. It's called, which is almost giving me like a turbocharger when I, when I go into the game. Like, in fact, we would, we would do a lot of that stuff with, with, um, 
Derek, um, especially his MVP year, he, he, he started to be like game day was like his favorite day to train before the game, because it was a way in which he could kind of get loose and get ready for the, for the game. So, you know, kind of long winded, but, but wrapping it all up here, you know, I think the other part of why DeMar is able to, you know, as an outsider, Mm -hmm. I look at DeMar and I would venture to guess he's having success is because throughout the season, even amongst all the stress, he's actually doing more work where oftentimes people say, Hey, you have all this stress. So you just need to rest. Like you need to do less. And, and it's, and where you miss the point is it's, it's about how you distribute that workload. So doing different, like if you're just doing more of the same, then yes, absolutely. You're going to break down. And so that's where, from a training perspective, picking your days where, you know, one day it might be light and it's more about mobility, range of motion. And and there's not much of a stress in terms of like the, the weight or the load that I'm moving. Another day is going to be more about um, speed of movement. How fast is, am I moving? Another day might be more about just strength. So how much weight am I moving, but still keeping the volumes low. Um, and that actually kind of like helps you um, over time because now you're varying those stresses where you see breakdown is because it's more monotony and it's just a lot of the same type of stress, which is why you see like endurance athletes, uh, like marathon runners, triathletes, swimmers, you know, they'll break down if they're, because they're just doing too much of the same thing. So you can see that with basketball athletes, if they're not complementing everything that they're doing on the court to practice, to get shots up, to play games with the, you know, medicine ball circuits and throws and lifts and mobility and yoga. And so. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, obviously as a former athlete, I can relate to some of that. Um, although I hated lifting, could not stand lifting to save my life. <laughs> so yeah. whenever we had lift sessions, I was like, Oh man, I just want to do like, I was like, forget this. I'm, I'm trying to chill, but mm-hmm. it makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. Right. It, you, it makes a lot of sense to put in the extra work and effort. So your body can respond at the proper moments when it needs to respond. Yeah. And it's amazing that you said that because you also talked about how real briefly, how while you're at Purdue, you know, you only lost you only six games per se. And that was in seven years. That, yep. Yeah, in seven years with those with injuries. What specific methods did you implement coming from Chicago with the Bulls to Purdue that helped create that that trajectory where that, that, that durability co- uh, component factor became a positive for you guys? Yeah, um, I would say first and foremost, the biggest thing I learned from Chicago that I was able to bring to Purdue is just relationships. Um, and I think that's where I was really fortunate because working for the Bulls was actually my very first job out of college. Now I did a ton throughout college to put myself in position to, to have that opportunity. So it wasn't just like I you know, got lucky and it fell into my lap. Um, obviously there's always luck involved with something like that, but I mean, I worked my ass off to get there. Um, but that, uh, you know, a lot of times like, say if I wanna work in the NBA, 
I'm probably going to go through the ranks, maybe even work in high school, then work in college, mid-major, then high major, then, you know, and traditionally, I think a lot of times that's how you think of it, because also as a player, that's how you go. And, and so for me as a coach, I actually went to essentially the top first with the Bulls. And as part of that, I saw some great teams. I saw some individual um, great players. Um, and, and then also, interestingly, um, all three years I was there, we had, the, we had the oldest player in the NBA. The first two, it was Lindsey Hunter, and the last one was um, Kurt Thomas. Mm-hmm. So you had, guy, you had guys like that that just could, could pour wisdom in, into me as, as players. And then you had all the, all the people, the, the Tony Kukoc, the Bill Wennington, the Stacey Kings, the Scotty Pippen, um, you know, John Paxson that were, you know, still very much a part of the organization. So I'm having conversations with them every single day. I'm going to dinner with them on the road. And the biggest thing I learned during my time with the bulls was like the foundation of everything that you do is the relationships that you have with each guy individually. Um, Because out of that, you build trust. And, you know, what I I think people take for granted at times in the, in the coaching world is sort of this, you know, idea of like, well, I'm the head coach. So you have to listen to me, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or, or or I'm the coach. So you don't speak to me that way. No, 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 no. I'm a man. You're a man. And like, in this case, you know, like female sports too, but I'm a human being. You're a human being. My title does not matter. Your title does not matter. You know what I mean? And, and, and it does ultimately at some point of like, we need to follow and rally behind our head coach. And that's, who's going to like lead the charge and direct us. And we need to be on the same page. Um, But how you get there is, is by building relationships. And so I would say that was the biggest thing that I brought from what I learned during my time with the Bulls to, to come to Purdue um, was, and it's changing now, but back then, you know, in the college setting, especially within, and th- frankly, this might've been why you hated the weight room. And I don't want to speak for your experience, but um, I know it was common for a lot of people was like, you're here because you have to be here and you'll do, and you're going to do what's on the workout because you have to, because if you don't, um, there's a consequence. Like if you don't, you got to run suicides. If you don't, you know, um, and you're not necessarily there because you want to be there. You're not necessarily there because you believe in it. You're not. And if it comes down to it and I say, you know, Josh, here's what we got today. This, and, and, and you're like, well, why at the college level, ultimately I could be like, because I said, so just do it. Man, if you do that at, at the NBA level, do you know how quickly I'm going to get cussed out by like, <laughs> or, or I say, yo, um, Brad Miller, um, I'm going to find you if you don't do this. First off, he's just going to, he's going to write the check right there. And I've just tarnished that relationship with him. Right. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, you, in order to be effective at the professional level, you have to build relationships with these guys, you have to show just like any other human being that you give a shit about them, that like you genuinely care about them as a person first Mm -hmm. and you have their best interests in mind. And what's unique is as a performance coach, I don't control playing time. So it's in my best interest, even if I disliked every single player that that I had, it's in my best interest actually for every single one of them to improve. 
You know what I mean? And so in some ways sitting in that role probably gives you an advantage because like they can't really get pissed at me about their playing time. They can get mad at the head coach. (laughs) Um, But you know, I think, I think then that just creates the environment where now you've earned the right to coach them, not just because of your title. And then from there, the second piece of it is taking what I call a, an N equals one approach. Um, and that's like truly dialing down to the individual. And, and the first part of that is the relationship. Who is this person? You know, what, uh, where are they from? Like culturally, what is their background? Where did they grow up? Who are their parents? Who are the most influential people in their lives, whether it's family members, past coaches, friends, like get to know them, get to know those people. Um, what do they want? Like, what, what do they, what do they love? What are they passionate about? What do they fear? Mm-hmm. You know, what are their insecurities? Um, because if you don't understand those things, you're not truly going to be able to help that person. Ultimately being a coach is about transporting this person in front of you. Like if I'm a coach and I'm coaching you, Josh, my job is to transport you from where you are now to where you want to go. Right. That's like the simplest definition of a coach. And so a lot of times people look at the mechanics of it and they see X's and O's basketball or skill or or lifting weights it's like, yes, that's the vehicle of it. Um, but there's such a huge psychological component, you know, which, which first comes from building that trust to now be able to have the right to have an impact and have an influence. And, you know, a lot of it is, is building the mindset and building the, the, um, confidence. And so, you know, starting from there, building that relationship, getting to know each guy, how they tick, how they think, you know, all those sorts of things now allows me as a coach to meet each one of them individual where individually where they're at, because it doesn't matter what the science tells me that I should put together as this person's workout. Um, That's part of it. And I need to take that into account, but I also need to take into account who they are and, and will they even believe in this thing that I'm telling them to do yet? Will they enjoy, like, what is their relationship? Like, so if I coach someone like you and you're like, man, I just, Josh, I, I hate the weight room. And frankly, Derek was that guy. Like Derek had never really formally lifted weights before he got to us. He just, you know, and, and that's most young guys. Like they just, it's changing now. Obviously you have more resources at the grassroots level, um, but he'd just go play basketball. And so the weight room freaked him out when he first, when he first got to us. And what we did is the same thing I would do if I was working with you. First, I just want to, I want him to like feel comfortable, feel, you know, sounds corny, but like feel safe in mm-hmm. the weight room. Yeah. And then like enjoy it, have fun. So like, I actually don't care what you do to start out because we just, we got to start somewhere. So like, what are some of the things that you like to do? We can probably still mix in a few things that, you know, you, you need to do. Um, but let's do some things to start to establish your confidence in an area where maybe you're not overly comfortable. You're not overly confident and let's make it fun. Like I'm going to crack jokes with you. What music do you want to listen to? Even if it's music I hate, I'm going to throw it on. And then I'm going to tell you, man, your music is trash. I need to screw you up (laughs) on some nineties hip hop. You know what I mean? Like, but, but like, 
we're going to have fun. I'm going to get you laughing. I'm going to get yeah. you. And now, and now you have trust. And then now I'm going to say, Hey, and here's why we're doing this thing. Here's what, and this thing other over here, um, you know, I think it would really help you. And here's why I think it would help you. And you know, blah, blah, blah. And so starting to educate you, starting to, starting to empower you and you have to do that at the pro level. And so, you know, bringing that to the college level over time, the other thing it does, the more I educate you, you know what your body feels like better than any, any data, any, you know, watch or wearable, like, you know, how you feel. Right. You know? And I can't argue or question how you feel, but if I educate you and I arm you with the tools to understand based on how I feel, here's what I feel like doing. And here's some of the things that I've noticed in the past have helped me when I feel this way. And that's a lot of what we would do with the bulls that translated to Purdue was like, you know, interestingly in season at Purdue, I didn't, we were the only team in college basketball. There was not a single lift that was on our like weekly schedule. There was not a single lift that was quote unquote, like mandatory. Um, but yet, you know, on average, our guys came and saw me anywhere from probably like four to seven days a week, any other team, maybe they have two mandatory lifts. It's half hour, 45 minutes in season, mm -hmm. the whole team's doing the same thing. But what we did was like, again, that DeMar DeRozan example, the consistency of it, the more you train, the more you can train, the higher your tolerance is, the more you can go out and do in the game, the quicker you recover and bounce back, you know, all those sorts of things, especially at, at that level, they're younger, so they're still developing. Yeah. So we could actually improve their strength and athleticism throughout the course of a season by doing that. But the biggest piece was, you made them a partner in the process. Um, and so as a result, over time, like when they're a young freshman and they're still figuring it out, I'm kind of telling them like, hey, here's, here's our plan for the day. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think about this? How do you feel? Um, and then maybe I'd tweak a few things here and there based on how they'd feel. Or other days I'd say, hey, I know you're not probably gonna feel like doing this, but just trust me on this today. Let's just do it because I want you to know how this does feel, you know, for future situations when you feel this way. And oh, by the way, we're playing a mid-major team today that's, you know, one and eight so far on the season. And so like, if you lifting before a game is the reason we lost, like we have much bigger problems anyways. So using some of those scenarios to teach, to educate, and then it, and then it starts to, translate to instead of me saying here's here's what we have then it goes to what do you feel like doing today because now they have some education of like based on where I'm feeling based on where we're at in the season here's what I feel like doing now I would still come in to guide them and say hey that sounds good but you know really we probably should move a little bit of weight today because um and I'm gonna speak back from my time with Purdue we got Rutgers tomorrow they're, you know, two and 10 in the big 10 so far. They're, they're good now. I wouldn't do it. Right. Now. But so like, let's maybe get you a little sore here. Cause we'll still be fine tomorrow, but we got Michigan state next week. So we can't do it then, you know? And so picking those spots and then it ultimately turns into literally me asking a guy, Hey man, what are you going to do today? By their junior, senior year, they're literally telling me what they're going to do, but it's because we've educated them and as it relates to 
injury and health and performance, that is taking into account the psychological piece, which ends up driving the, the physical, the physiological of how I feel. So if I feel I have ownership and choice in the decision, I'm doing things that I believe work, I'm doing things that I've chosen to work, then the likelihood that they do work actually increases because I also have kind of a environment, you know, psychologically, hormonally, that is favorable to recovery. Like if I'm just, and, and I don't know, but when you were coming in the weight room, I imagine a lot of days is like, Josh, here's the program. I don't care what you feel like, this is what we're doing today. And you probably try and sneak in the corner and like, you're supposed to have 10 reps, try and figure out a way to do seven reps. Um, but what you had there is you had a lack of control. And so what comes with that lack of control is an increase in anxiety and an increase in stress hormones. And throughout the course of a, of a very long season, the more stress hormones, the more cortisol you have, the further you're breaking down, actually, from when you go out and you have a double overtime game, you're gonna break down even more because you have, you know, the associated stress around you is bigger. And so that's a lot of stuff that we would do even beyond training is how do we create that environment around you, the belief, the confidence, the energy, um, so that you know, we are minimizing those stress hormones as much as possible, which then also is going to lead into you making better decisions about what you eat, you sleeping better, because when you when you lay your head on the pillow, you're actually able to fall asleep. So, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it, it's funny, because at the core, like if you just if you just came and you saw some of the stuff, especially by year six, year seven, when I was at Purdue, and you saw and you're like, man, um, Vince Edwards and, you know, PJ Thompson, you know, Dakota Mathias, these, these guys who are seniors are literally just walking in season in the weight room in season. And they're telling the strength coach what they're going to do on the surface. That seems like very like simple. And you're like, man, what are you doing? But it's like there, it is simple at its core but it's complex. Like there's, there's levels to it. So it's like, even, um, you know, on, on a day after a bad loss or a day that a guy has been through a lot of stuff, there'll be days where the, the workout itself is less important than just changing their mood state from the time they walk in to the weight room to the time they leave. So like, I would see a guy come in and we did this in the NBA as well is they're out of character. They're walking real slow. They're grumpy. They're quiet. They're, you know, head down. They don't even, I say hi to them. Hey, hey, Josh, what's good, man? Give me one of these. Yeah. Okay. I, I know it's one of those days. Now the workout is less important. We can use that as a vehicle, but let me crank on the music you like. Let me give you a little bit of space, but gradually, like, let me see if I can kind of like get you to crack a smile, get you to laugh, get you to, you know, do those things. And, and so, um, it's interesting, man, but it, but I, I really do believe it's, it's the relationships, it's the trust and it's the ownership, the choice that you give them, um, that drives a lot of those outcomes. And then if you just kind of have a sound program with that together with some consistency, um, you're going to have a lot of success. You are very, um, I can say you're a very wise guy. 
uh, <laughs> when it comes to the things that you you put out there into the world and on social media and everything. Um, talk about from a leadership perspective, who was the mentors that helped get you to become the leader in your respective field that you became? Yeah, so, um, you know, and, and, and I would say for, I'm fortunate because I probably have way too many um, to be able to like give due credit and, and list them all. So I'll, I'll highlight, um, you know, two in particular, and it's uh, Al Vermeil and Eric Helland, um, who, you know, those, those were my two mentors with the Bulls. Um, Al was, and I was fortunate to, to spend one year with him. It was actually my first year when I, when I was an intern um, and Al was still around. He was in, in a consultant role with the Bulls, but he was, um, he was the Bulls first ever strength coach in the mid eighties. Before that, he was Bill Walsh's strength coach with the 49ers. So, you know, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, um, Roger Craig, that whole, that whole group. So Al Vermeil, and by the way, he's Dick Vermeil's younger brother. Um, Al Vermeil is, and I don't think it's changed. I could be wrong. He's the only coach to have both Super Bowl ring with the 49ers. And then he has six NBA championship rings with the Bulls. So, you know, and he was someone who, um, really, you know, the things he was doing in the mid, in the mid eighties teams at a high level are just starting to do now. Like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's, he's, he's just a trendsetter 30 years ahead of his time. Um, and then, uh, Eric was his first ever assistant, Eric, he hired when, you know, I think Eric was probably 22. So this would have been late eighties. Um, and by the mid nineties, Al kind of handed over the reins to, to Eric. And so, you know, a lot of those championship years, Eric was kind of running everything in terms of, of, of the training and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and honestly, it was, it was really historic. Like the, the things that they were doing with those guys, with the, the Horace Grants and the Scotty Pippins and the, you know, Luke Longley, Jason, you know, like Kathy, all the, all these guys to BJ um, mm -hmm. to develop them was just absolutely incredible. And, um, you know, and then Eric was who was my boss for my entire time with the Bulls. But, you know, I think both those guys, it was, again, getting back to what, what I talked about right before this made me realize that, you know, all this knowledge that I, that I thought I had, about how to train someone, how to develop an athlete, how to keep them healthy. Um, first of all, like, I didn't know anything. I thought, you know, I thought I knew everything. I didn't, I didn't know anything. Um, but they made me realize that like, actually none of that mattered without the human side of it, the, you know, the relationships. And, um, you know, I think something that always stuck out with me with, um, with Al is like, you know, he would always tell stories of, his time with the 49ers and, and the, uh, you know, the Jordan era, the, the six championships. And like, I mean, he was literally having, you know, I think even weekly, he would have the entire team, 15 guys 
over to his house and his and his wife would you know together with his wife they'd they'd cook dinner and they'd have all the guys over and you know but he just he taught and he did the same thing with the Niners and he just talked about it, it was like that's the reason why he was able to coach them that's the, the reason why he was able to you know have an impact with them and, and an influence and um you know he also I think one of the things that always stuck out to me that that he taught me was um how you treat the the people who quote unquote like work for you and and I always try to be careful of like I don't view it as someone yes like I man you know maybe I manage people technically but I I never view it as like they work for me it's they work with me we work right. you know we work together um, and, and I learned that and I saw that with Al, I, 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 you know, he, one of the things he, he said to me during our, our time together, it was like, you know, he, he just told me, he was like, you know, Josh, when, when you're in the role, when, when you're the head guy, um, and everything ultimately falls on you, but now you have an assistant maybe you have some interns, um, anything that happens under your watch, like if they make a mistake, if they fail, if they, you know, screw something up. Um, it's always your fault. Does not matter. Even if it looks like it's their fault, even if like you, you told them 10 times how to do the thing and they still screwed it up or, you know, whatever it is, it's your fault. It's never their fault. It's always your fault. If a head coach comes down to you, a GM, whoever, you always own it. That's on you. Um, because he was like, you got to realize like, you know, it's your fault because maybe you didn't prepare them for it. Like you put them in a position, but you didn't prepare them. You didn't communicate effectively enough, you know, or you put them in a position to do something that they weren't ready for. And you should have known better than to put them in that position. And if they stepped out on their own and just kind of did something, well, well, you didn't teach them to have the right judgment of like, what's their call and what's, what, what is not. Um, And he also said, you know, kind of the flip side of it is, anything that goes well, put them on a pedestal. You know, it's about that. Even if like you did 90% of it, if they did 10% of it, let them shine. You know, it's not, it's not about you. Um, and especially in the sports world, you know, that's so, so uncommon. It's such a, you know, there's scarcity around these roles of like being a head coach, being a GM, being whatever it is. And so, you know, there's a natural, like, dog eat dog mentality, like a zero sum game. Um, and so it's easy to get in those worlds and feel as though, you know, that's, that's what's normal. And that's what you got to do, um, to, to make it and to like be insecure and to be scared that like, man, well, what if, uh, you know, my assistant starts to look better than me and like, now they're going to fire me or they're, you know, whatever it might be. And, and what I learned from Al so be it. Like, that's good. Like I I want my assistant to be better than me. And what stuck out about Al was like, he also lived it. He did it through example. Like one of the things I I always love to share about him and and I kind of alluded to earlier, but in the middle of those championships, and this is the greatest dynasty maybe our world has ever seen with, you know, the Jordan bulls, literally they were the, they were bigger than the Beatles. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So in the middle of that dynasty and Al basically goes to, you know, ownership and the GM and, and kind of is like, Hey, um, 
Eric's too good to be my assistant. He's outgrown the role. We need to let him lead here. We need to let him have ownership. And Al kind of like stepped aside so that Eric could be the head guy because he realized if he's just my assistant, he's not growing anymore. You know, he's, he's not developing. And um, I think that can be, you know, it's, it's really uncomfortable. Like you got to be really vulnerable and, and it takes, and you got to have a lot of confidence and, and assurance in, in yourself. But it was like, I think that's also what allowed Al to be so effective himself is like, he had that confidence and it was sort of like, you know, if at some point, like you guys decide that someone else is better or whatever, that's fine. Like fire me. I'll be good. I'll, I'll like, I'll go to the next thing. And, um, you know, when I had the opportunity to take over the program at, at Purdue, I was fortunate because my very first year I had an assistant. And it was the first time, like I'd had interns I'd helped before, but yeah. now I have an assistant, um, Nicodemus Christopher. And, um, you know, I love to, to, to kind of brag on now his success because I think his success is bigger than my success at this point is he at the end of our first year together, and he was, I think, 23 years old at the time. He took over as the director of men's basketball for the University of Ten Tennessee with Conzo Martin. He ended up spending the next 10 years with Conzo Martin, and he just left last year, and now he's working very closely with Michael Porter Jr. And, I mean, he's doing just incredible things. But the thing I did from day one with him was, first of all, if anybody referred to him as my assistant, I quickly corrected them. I say, he's not my assistant. He's my co-head. But I put him in the positions to be there before he got there because I knew that was, that was his path. And so my right. job was to help him outgrow me. My job was to help prepare him for the things that I was not prepared for going into my first head job, the things that you know, for whatever reason, being the assistant, maybe I didn't get exposed to, um, and, and to like shine the credit on him, but also to bear the weight, you know, of if he did make a mistake. And I'll be honest, like halfway through that year, cause I'm still proving myself. It was, it was, it was, it was hard, man. It was uncomfortable. Like I questioned myself. Cause I'm like, damn, is Nicodemus a better coach than I am? And like, frankly, probably he is. Um, you know, but also like some of our players and our coaches are looking at it like, man, we need to be doing what Nicodemus, you know, mm -hmm. says we're doing like Nick could be the head guy. Um, but I just kind of I went back to everything that Al taught me and everything that Al lived. And I was like, man, I'm comfortable in my own skin. If 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 Nick's better than me and like Coach Painter decides Nick should replace me, then man. I am so excited for him because I also know I've helped put him in that position to do that. And I'm confident enough in my own self that I'll go get something else. Like I'll just right. go work for another NBA team or another college team, or you know what I mean? And just, right. but that positive sum mentality of like truly, truly rooting for other people's success. Life is long, man. It's a long game. And so like, you know, what's wild is like now Nicodemus is someone who he's able to help me in my growth and my development just as much, if not more than, than anybody in my life. Like he's one of my biggest mentors, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's like, 
he was my assistant. And so I think when you take that perspective and you realize, you know, a lot of time, like everyone always wants to look up, like to, to grow and develop and for mentorship. Um, what I've realized over time, man, like some of my biggest mentors today are 10 years younger than me. You know what I mean? But it's just like, there's so much I, I, I can learn from them. And then, you know, as you build those relationships and prop other people up and just what you're doing is you're planting seeds and you're never asking for anything in return. You know, you're just kind of giving, um, but it comes back around, man, it compounds. And now when you're in a position and you need help or you need, now you got this like army behind you where they're like, man, Josh did this for me. He did that for me. He introduced me to this person, that person, Josh, man, what you need, I got you. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, man, I'm still waiting for you to put out your leadership book. Uh, <laughs> for all of us to check all that stuff out, man, for sure. Because obviously, it's all real life stuff that really are applicable to every life as leaders, for sure. So, I'm, so when that book does come out, I'm gonna need a signed <laughs> autograph copy of this book, man. I, I need, need to I need, to, I need you to help me co-write it, man. You got them, <laughs> them journalism, you know, school of journalism behind you. So. I feel you, man. We'll, we'll talk about that for sure. We'll talk about that on the side for sure. Everybody listening right now, you're listening to my guy, Josh Bonito. Um, Josh, uh, before we quickly uh, briefly uh, wrap this thing up, you know, now you're doing other ventures now. You're, you have a fitness app uh, with uh, called Future. You, like you said, you're into the tech world now with venture capital. Talk about what led to these new movements that expanded you outside of the on the court experience with the gift that you have of strength and conditioning and strength training and fitness. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it starts going back to, especially Nicodemus. And what I just talked about is, um, you know, I started my really as a kid, my life and then my career of like a dream of, you know, I want to play for the Bulls. And then that turned into, I want to work for the Bulls. Um, but then also you get there and you realize very quickly, it's not about the destination. Um, you know, and so you, you learn to, and, and I think I was fortunate being pretty young to learn to shift my focus that it's, it's actually about the journey. Because if you make it about the destination, if you make it about, you know, oh, I just want this job or that house, or if I, you know, whatever, I win this championship or I'm an all-star, um, then you get there, you're going to find it's very uh, deflating. It's very unfulfilling because you're sort of like, yeah, this is cool, but like, now what, you know? And so, and also you realize the journey is what gets you there, like prioritizing the journey. And right. so what I found in my search from, you know, starting out with the Bulls at 22 and realizing, man, um, I actually didn't set the bar high enough for myself and, and still kind of thinking it was a destination. I realized it was like, man, what I love, what's important to me is being able to help Nicodemus, being able to like get him and 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 help elevate his platform and challenge him to dream bigger and think bigger and go achieve things that maybe he didn't even realize he was capable of. So it was, how can I build a larger platform for myself to do that for many, many more people who are all driven and chasing excellence, who they themselves are trying to create opportunities for others. You know what I mean? And it's like, the more, the more I can create opportunity 
for other people who are trying to create opportunities for other people. You know what I mean? That's, that's where it magnifies. That's where you can have kind of an act on, on this world, in, in my opinion. And so that had led me down a path of like, well, maybe if I go be the GM of an NBA team, that's what will give me the play. And it was less about being the GM. It was more about the platform to do that. And, um, you know, so, so kind of thought I was going to do that was like getting set to go to law school, ended up, um, you know, having this opportunity to, to help build future from the ground up, which, you know, seemingly came out of nowhere, but uh, because it like I was recruited for it. It was a cold email. Like I didn't know any of my co-founders, any of that. Um, but what you realize is like, and, and I talk about this a lot is, you know, luck is the residue of, of design. So mm-hmm. it was a product of, you know, helping a lot of people and, 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 you know, adding value to a lot of different people. It was, really being present where I was, which I had to learn, especially while I was at Purdue. Like I was always like, man, I need to get back in the NBA. But then when I was finally present and I just focused on being the best where I was doing the best I could every single day, what you find and then show up each day, it puts you in a position where these like lucky opportunities come along. And then it's like, you gotta be able to recognize that opportunity and make that jump. And as part of it, you know, you're, you're betting on yourself. And so having had that opportunity four years ago to um, go and, and at the time we're a tiny little siege stage uh, startup called future. We, you know, didn't have a coaching team yet, which that's our whole product is we pair you with these really high level coaches. In fact, 80% of our coaches um, have all coached at the, professional college or Olympic uh, level. So, I mean, it's, it's big time, big time coaches um, and like going there, figuring out how this company could even work and then building the, the, the team to do so. Um, but, but I took that bet because I knew it, 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 it put me in the room to make bigger things happen. It, and it put me in a room where now there's no longer a ceiling, which, you know, in, in the sports world, as crazy as it sounds, um, there's a ceiling, you know, it's like the NBA, as big as it is, you're still kind of inside of a box. Like the NBA is what it is, you know? And so like being yeah. a GM, that's, you know, kind of a ceiling. And, and in this world, being in a startup, being in tech, you realize it's like, there's, there's only a ceiling if, if you make one. And so kind of taking the same approach that I took even, with, uh, you know, cause again, I started as an intern with the bulls. And right. so from day one, I was like, okay, this is my shot. I'm taking advantage of that. How do I parlay this? And I just tried to add value to everyone around me. So like, you know, somebody needed to run the clock for practice. Nobody wanted to do it. Like that job sucks. Um, <laughs> but I was going to run the clock and be so good that they could put me on the clock at the UC game seven of the NBA finals. And I'm not going to make a mistake. And that's how right. I approached it, you know, and like wiping, getting down on your hands and knees and wiping up sweat so that players don't slip. I approached that as like, man, it's on me. If any one of these guys, like if there's a West, you know, and so, but you take that approach, like whatever, you know, if it, if it needs to be done, then, do it at no matter how small the job 
do it at a world-class level. Right. And that stands out. And now, um, you know, also taking advantage of the rooms it brings you in. That was something that brought me in rooms with, you know, people who are now investors or founders of companies or things outside of basketball. And just by like treating them right, building relationships, showing value, um, you know, that opened a lot of opportunities for me. And so I, I, I kind of took that same exact approach with future is like, now, just as when I was with the Bulls, there's a lot of people who would never want to talk with Josh Bonatall, um, just on my own, this kid that grew up in Lake Geneva, but Josh Bonatall that works for the Bulls, I want to talk to that guy because he works, not because he's Josh, but because he works for the Bulls. But now that gives me an opportunity to get into a room with a CEO, with a, with a team owner, with a GM. Um, and now it's on me. And now if I can, if I can hold my own, I can connect with that person. Is everything I talked about with coaching, build a relationship, just get curious about that person, form a connection with them, um, offer to, man, I, I was offering to help like uh, billion dollar investors the first time I met them, you know, we'll <clears> finish the call. Hey, like, you know, just let me know, you know, I don't know if I can ever help you, but please let me know if I can be a resource for you. And by the way, there's two people that I think you'd really like to meet that I think y'all might have some synergies and, you know, and so it's like literally, and because they're used to, I'm a billion dollar investor. Everyone they talk to wants something from them. Right. You know, so like, so like the fact that even, and, and I can't help these guys, you know, like hopefully I can one day. Um, but even the fact that I'm saying, Hey man, like, how can I help you? You know, right. um, that stands out. And now also like people are watching you. And so now along the journey, you're building advocates around you. You're building people that are, they're rooting for you, man. They like you. They, you know, maybe they met you when you were like, I got people I met when I was, when I was an intern. And at that time, I definitely could have done nothing for them, but I keep them updated on my progress. I try and check in with them. I try and share stuff I'm doing. Um, and now you have all these people thinking of you, supporting you. And, and so, you know, that was kind of the approach I took with future. And then, you know, now we're having success. Now we've, we've raised a few different rounds of, of funding. In fact, we just announced our latest round. We raised $75 million in, in our latest round. We, we just formally launched a partnership with um, the Golden State Warriors and the New York Knicks. We're the official fitness coaching provider of both of those teams. We're getting ready to do a whole bunch more. KD's an investor in our company, you know, like all kinds of different stuff like this, but, but like that thing doesn't happen overnight. Right. And, you know, it was because behind the scenes, I'm doing these things, I'm building these relationships. It sets the stage where now you can strike where the iron's hot. And so for me, it was like seeing even beyond future and realizing there's this whole other world of investing. So how yeah. can I get into that world? Because what I see is there's this whole space in human performance and the way we think about our day-to-day -day health um, that is, um, you know, going to completely revolutionize things of, of people living longer lives and better quality lives very differently than it's ever been done before by getting out in front and through building future over the past four years, now we kind of sit at the center of it. I've been able to um, 
kind of assert myself as a face in that, as the person who's built the team, as the person who's kind of helped establish the foundation for how we do that. And now as you see all these other really interesting companies, um, some older than us, like a, uh, a Peloton or a Tonal, right. and then also some of your wearables like a Whoop or an Aura Ring, um, they all kind of funnel into coaching. And so that was something like I saw an opportunity where it's like, if I can find a way to get myself involved in the other side of the table, now I can create even more opportunities because I can go and identify these really talented founders, these, these companies that can kind of improve our overall health as a population um, and invest in them and, and, and kind of bring those, those people together because you know, I think, I think the thing, and, th and this is where like my vision has changed so much from going from where I thought, you know, GM was the thing to now getting into this world where there's no ceiling. Um, and, and what I've realized is like, man, there's a massive opportunity out there. If instead of, and like I talked on before, instead of taking this zero sum mindset, which a lot of people do where it's like, you know, forget all my competition. Like I want to squash them, um, you know, and, and making about like, I'm just going to own the whole pie myself. Um, how can I go and put myself in a position to bring all these really talented people together and brands and, you know, things like that. Right. Because if we come together, we can create a pie that's so much bigger. And even if individually our slices are smaller, our overall piece is way bigger than what it would have been, you know, had we had um, the whole pie. And when we talk about like, like our mission with future ultimately is one day we're helping hundreds of millions of people. And, you know, my vision for that is like, I don't believe we do that on our own. I right. believe we do that together, you know, and, and, and I use the kind of the example of like the, the warriors is like, man, let, like, let's go be the warriors and go get KD, you know, let's go get who, who are all the best people out there. Let's stack our team. And, and like, man, let's, let's go, you know, do, do something special. So, um, you know, I think it was just kind of that mindset, having that vision, helping people along the way, um, adding value, asking, or, you know, asking and, and helping and giving, more than more than you take and and it's just kind of um it, basically it's and one of my buddies talks about this but it's like increasing your luck surface area the mm. more you're doing this type of stuff the more you increase like the surface area for like lucky opportunities to happen and then you're you're essentially like engineering serendipity and so that for me is like you know, being able to like transition each role and now like still building future, but creating this opportunity to get into the venture capital side of things. Um, and what's really unique is it actually very much helps uh, elevate my uh, impact with future because it helps me get in the rooms with all these other founders that together can potentially help drive our initiatives with future. Nah, that's some really big time stuff, man. I'm sorry. And you know me, I've always been supportive of, supportive of all the things that you're doing. I've been paying attention to what you guys are doing. 
congratulations on all the success you've been you've been receiving and i obviously hope more for you guys to come and um like i said I, you know how we always do it if i can help support in any other way you know i got you so um i definitely appreciate you being able to do that share your story with everyone on the show um before we get out of here um there is one thing that we have to acknowledge as bulls nation today we are recording on Friday, February 25th. It is the day of Joe Kim Noah's birth. Joe Kim Noah's birthday is today. My God. Happy birthday to Joe Kim Noah. Um, Happy birthday, the, Joe. See, yeah, there you go. I know that's your guy, man. Just real briefly, just highlight, you know, a, a, a message you would send if you were able to see Joe Kim Noah right now or the Bulls Nation and, and talking about Joe Kim. Just a real brief message. Man, it's wild because it, it, it comes full circle. But like, Joe Keem's uh, kind of private year-round trainer that was with him throughout his entire career is actually one of our coaches at, at Future now. And um, it's just, man, what's, what's special about Joe is, is his ability to connect and bring together people. And just I, the way in which he's brought me into, into his family. And then now, like, we're all helping each other. I mean, it's just like, I don't know that I have the words for how, how special that dude is, but um, I love I love him as a brother. And, uh, you know, it's incredible because when we talk, you know, he he's telling me how proud he is of me. You know what I mean? It's just like that's special, man. Nah, that's 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 real. That's real. And I'm glad you were able to have that experience and exposure with Joe Kim as we honor and celebrate his birthday today. Um, what? do you have coming down the pipeline for our audience to pay attention to? Um, I think just pay attention to everything that we're doing with future. You know, I think this is the year you're, you're really going to see us on the map. Like I said, we're doing some of these different partnerships with, um, with NBA teams. Um, we're launching a few podcasts. We just did a, a partnership with JJ Reddick on, on his podcast to really highlight great coaches and what is coaching. Um, but, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is just, you know, putting ourselves out there so that we can have this impact and, and people know that we exist and, um, you know, and, and so we can just impact many more lives. Where can everybody follow you on social media? Uh, probably Twitter is the best spot at Jay Bonitall. Um, I'm always trying to put out different threads and, and videos and stuff like that. And, um, I'm actually launching a, a podcast here, um, in the next couple of weeks, spotlighting what? a lot of our, yeah, man, I'm trying to get on your level. So, uh, just telling, telling stories, you know, and it's, it's the theme, the through line is, it is human performance, but it's, you know, we, we have hundreds of coaches now with us at future, just who come from crazy backgrounds have trained unbelievable, you know, people, um, and, you know, have unbelievable stories themselves. So telling their story, telling kind of the story of future through their eyes of, of, you know, taking risk and, and making it through the dark moments and, you know, betting on yourself and, and things like that. But then, you know, also kind of what's ahead for, for the space. So uh, I'm really excited for that. Um, so you'll, you'll start seeing that on Twitter as well. Okay. Okay. I'm definitely going to be able to look up for that. Going to hit the subscribe button and everything and make sure that you, you get the love that you deserve, my man. So I'm definitely going to do that. 
Um, and obviously, everybody listening right now, you know where to find me on the Instagram and the Twitter, Josh M. Hicks Media, and follow War Media all over uh, social media as well, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. You can find this episode also on War Media on YouTube. This will be on YouTube later this evening, so be on the lookout for that as well. And the podcast version of this, the audio version, you can also find on War on Anchor, all, 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 all platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, you name it. We are all over the place. My guy, Josh, man, I thank you for taking out the, the time of your schedule to talk to me and come back on my show. Really appreciate it. And you know, we, you know, we got to keep it to us because, you know, we got a lot more things Absolutely. to talk about and plan about past this. So Absolutely. Most uh, definitely. It's all love, man. Proud of everything that you keep doing. And, uh, you know, it, it, it goes both ways, man. Everything I can do to help. Most definitely, man. I definitely appreciate that. You have a good rest of your evening. You too.